You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast. As always, I'm your host, Arm Layton. I'm a minor league play-by-play broadcaster, as well as a prospect writer and analyst. And in today's episode, we're going to be talking about some potential extensions that the Marlins should delve out. I think the Marlins need to start looking into locking up some of those guys that have stuck it out through the rebuild. Two names that I will dive into is Brian Anderson and Sandy Alcantara. I've talked about Brian Anderson in the past as somebody that the Marlins should extend, and now Sandy Alcantara is somebody that I wanted to just get into a bit more because this guy just continues to improve every time we see him. And I think he's on a fast track to becoming a legitimate ace in this league. If that's the case, though, and the Marlins wait till the end of the season to extend him, it may be a bit pricier. So I want to talk about what that could look like now and then what the outline or framework of an extension could look like in the future. What kind of brought this Alcantara discussion to light, something I have been thinking about for a while, but just the outing that he had earlier today as I'm recording this at 9 p.m., on March 17th, a Wednesday, he had just gone out and dealt against the Mets. But how can I talk about this ball game without mentioning the walk-off home run from Joe Dunand, which I will talk about him later in the podcast as well. First, Sandy Alcantara. He was just dazzling today. And he was a guy that was more pitch to contact in the beginning, like when he first came up. And if you remember, the Marlins actually sent him back down because he was not getting a lot of swings and misses. And he was also struggling with his command a bit. The command has gotten better and better. The strikeout stuff has gotten better and better. And we saw it today, five innings, three hits, nine Ks. And across his last few starts of the season, we started to see some more swing and miss caliber stuff from Alcantara. Some of that is because of the uptick in his secondary stuff. Some of that is because of the improved command. And just all around, the pitch usage has been a lot better as well. I'm hoping for Sixto to follow a similar trend as Alcantara, who had the ridiculous stuff before too. We just weren't really understanding at the time why he wasn't able to get more swings and misses, but now he's utilizing his stuff better. No walks today, nine strikeouts, just ridiculous. And this was against a good Mets lineup that put most of their good ball players forward. McNeil, Lindor, Conforto, Alonzo, all those guys, Guillaume, were in the lineup today. And that was pretty close to a solid Mets lineup that we're going to see. Missing a couple of the big names, but still, a very solid offense. It's not like he was facing the C team or anything. He just carved them up without problem. Also, we got to see old friend Stephen Tarpley, who looked pretty decent in his inning. So wish him the best. Glad that he looked pretty good. Just hopefully he doesn't look good against the Marlins this year, as I'm thinking he might have a shot to make that Mets bullpen. But back to Alcantara. What a great start for him and what a just continuation of what he did last year. And I love the cocky Sandy that we have seen. When he was going into that Yankee start towards the end of the Marlins season last year, he said, they're not ready for my stuff. And I've mentioned this on the podcast a few times, but I just love that edge that he has to him now. And he seems to have that confidence in his stuff. It's shining through on the mound as well. It's not like he's all bark, no bite. We're seeing it out there on the field as well. And that's just spilling over into his press conferences 
bonuses and everything like that. That's why I like it because it's not something that he's compensating for. It's not a mirage. That is what you're seeing. The true just confidence come out of Sandy Alcantara when he talks about his starts and it's very valid. He is pitching to a level where he should be that confident. And what would an extension look like right now? Because I think if the Marlins wait till the end of this year, Sandy Alcantara is going to have another phenomenal season and it's going to be really tough to lock him down for what I think they could lock him down for right now if he is phenomenal again this season. That being said, I still think that they can get him for a reasonable price regardless, but with the Marlins, we know they want to save every penny they can, so it should be interesting. I think a perfect comparison contract-wise is looking at Aaron Nola, and Aaron Nola was coming off of a year when he signed his extension with the Phillies. He came off of a year where he was third in Cy Young voting and was going into his age 26 season. Right now, if Sandy signs the extension, let's say at the end of this season, I mean, I hope he finishes top five in Cy Young voting, but even if he isn't quite that good, let's say he puts together a really good year, it'll be a similar situation to Nola, and he'll be 26 years old going into next year. And believe it or not, Nola's contract was not as big as people would think. And the reason why is because the team has a lot of leverage here, and it's a similar situation control-wise for the Marlins where they have a bit of leverage because there are still three years of control, and Nola wanted to avoid arbitration. The Phillies were slated to go to arbitration with him at this point, and they were about $2 million apart. Nola wanted something like 67 and the Phillies were looking to pay him right around 4.5, something around that range. And now you just avoid that time, avoid all of the back and forth, and just guarantee money, and that just makes it so much more simple for both parties, and it makes sense. For the team, they don't have to go and fight arbitration, and they can just lock a guy up and use that leverage to get a few more years of control out of it. So yeah, we might have to pay you a bit more than we would have through arbitration, but we're going to get a few more years of control. The team can also backload that deal because of the fact that they are avoiding the arbitration years. So those two arbitration or three arbitration years that you are now replacing with a set salary, it can still be a bit lighter because as you know, arbitration is never going to really pay the players what they truly deserve if they are stars like Aaron Nola. Regardless if it was $4 million or $6 million, that is still a bargain for Aaron Nola given that he was coming off of a year where his numbers were ridiculous and he was third in Cy Young voting in the NL. So Nola's contract structure went like this. Four years, $45 million. You're probably saying that's it, but for the aforementioned reasons, it makes sense. This deal was signed going into the 2019 season. So he agrees for the $4 million base salary at that point, but he does get a $2 million signing bonus. So they basically are meeting at least closer to his price tag of what would have been the arbitration deal. He's getting $6 million essentially in 2019. Then 2020, he gets $8 million, which is more than he would have made in arbitration. So they avoid the headache and he makes probably more money than he would have made unless he won a Cy Young. Then 2021, the salary starts ramping up to $11.75 million and then $15 million in 2022. Then there is a club option for $16 million in 2023. So it gives the team an extra year of control but also gives Aaron Nola an option to make $16 million if he's pitching well. So while he doesn't have the ability to go to free agency quite as soon before the contract, he would have been a free agent in 2022, but makes $15 million instead. 
And then if he pitches well, which I'm assuming the Phillies will end up picking up this option in 2023 for 16 million, it gets them the extra year of control. So ultimately, assuming the Phillies pick up the option, they get two more years of control for Aaron Nola. And as a result, they do have to pay a bit more money up front than the arbitration would have paid, assuming that in 2020, it probably would have been a tick less than 8 million in 2021. It definitely would have been a tick less than 11.75 million, but then he would have been an unrestricted free agent in 2022. Instead, the Phillies retain him for 15 million and have the option to retain him in 2023 for 16 million. I think there can be a very similar mold that is maybe a hair cheaper for Sandy Alcantara, who's put up some really good numbers, but not quite to the level of what Aaron Nola's numbers were looking like right before this deal. So I think it should be a bit cheaper, but everything else is pretty similar in terms of their years of control, their age, and their projection. They seem similar in that regard. That contract structure works well for the Marlins too because they backloaded a bit and that gives them more time for when they clear the books next year, for when that TV money starts rolling in, for when they will hopefully have full capacity fans in the seats, and all of those aspects where the Marlins are eventually looking to expand their payroll, that can happen as Sandy's contract slowly ramps up. I think four years, $40 million for Sandy at this point with a fifth-year option makes a ton of sense. It gets the Marlins an extra year of control, and it also gets the Marlins a second year potentially with that option of extra control too. That club option could be somewhere around 13 to 14 million. And that would be an option where if Sandy's pitching the way he's pitching, I think you would pick that up at that point because he's going to keep getting better and better. And it's just a great, great deal for the fish. And it gives them some continuity. And I think it's a really important gesture to the fan base that has gotten used to seeing Sandy Alcantara as a fixture in this rotation. I think they should do something similar down the line with Pablo Lopez as well. He needs to show a bit more this season, which I think he will. But Sandy Alcantara is getting to the point now where halfway through this season, if he's continuing to pitch the way we assume he will, I think that he's shown enough to earn an extension. And now would be the time to reward him by giving him an uptick in his pay, guaranteeing some money for Sandy Alcantara while also not breaking the bank for the Marlins. It seems mutually beneficial and would make a ton of sense if the Phillies did it with Aaron Noah. Why can't the Marlins do it with Sandy Alcantara and start cementing some of those veterans that have been here for a little bit? Yes, Sandy Alcantara is a veteran. Start cementing those guys into the long-term plans so then you can figure out how you're going to build around that. Same thing with Brian Anderson. And I'm going to discuss what a Brian Anderson extension would look like money-wise in just a moment. But first, a reminder that this episode is brought to you by Rock Auto. Why pay 20, 30, or 50% more from the chain stores or the car dealerships when you can just go to rockauto.com and use their easy-to-navigate website to find whatever car part you need for any make or model. As I always say, the chain stores and the dealerships, the private mechanics, they're not looking out for your wallet. rockauto.com is a family-owned business that has been serving auto park customers online for over 20 years. They have your back and it's so much simpler because you just go to the website where you will easily find the car part that you need for your car and have it shipped straight to your door. It's that simple. Go to rockauto.com and let them know that Locked On sent you in the how did you hear about us section. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com. So finding a Brian Anderson comp contract-wise was a bit more difficult because third base is such a premium offensive spot. 
that you either have these superstar third basemen that are mashers and putting up MVP caliber numbers where we're talking about the Nolan Arenados, the Manny Machados, Anthony Rendon, Alex Bregman. I mean, these are all guys that you just cannot even use as context for the contract that Brian Anderson would presumably get. But that doesn't mean that the Marlins shouldn't lock up Brian Anderson because you can allocate money elsewhere to go get that superstar down the line. And Brian Anderson is a really good regular that makes sense to just cement in for relatively cheap, and then you have money to allocate elsewhere. Take advantage of the fact that you have a solid, above-average regular that seems to get better every season and is a good leader, is a good fit for the Marlins clubhouse, has been here. Again, continuity for the fans. He can also play corner outfield if needed, but is a plus defender at third, gold glove finalist. And if you look at some of the advanced metrics, they imply that Brian Anderson has been among the best third basemen defensively in baseball over the last two years. And I stand by it from what we've seen. I think that he is going to get his gold glove eventually if he sticks at third. Still only 27 years old, soon to turn 28. He's under control for 2022 and 2023, then is an unrestricted free agent in 2024. His contract would be a bit cheaper, in my opinion, than what Sandy Alcantara's would look like, and it would probably be incredibly reasonable as well. Anderson is a guy that is super solid, but I think has a lot more value to the Marlins than he would to other teams if he entered open free agency. He probably knows that, and the Marlins know that as well. I've still been very I guess, put off by Kim Ang's comments. And I know Brian Anderson's camp wasn't thrilled about that when it came out in the Miami Herald that Kim Ang said she wanted to see more of Brian Anderson and see what he's capable of before talking extension as if he hasn't been here for the last couple years and as if he hasn't really been one of the most consistent players for the Marlins and gotten better. I think that it was a little bit of a misspeak by Kim Ang and the fact that she was just new to the job. We saw some similar minor optics hiccups with Derek Jeter early on when he first started in his CEO role. And Kim Ang, don't get me wrong, is more than qualified and should have been a GM a long time ago, but she also wasn't put on the spot nearly as much. So any GM is going to have a little bit of that learning process. And it wasn't like she said something terrible. I just think it was definitely, I said it the second it came out, I said Kim Ang's going to want that one back. And I think she learned from it. And ultimately, I appreciate the honesty and the candidness that we've seen from Kim Ang, whereas Michael Hill was almost too far the other way, where he just would never provide any answers or information. His interviews were, I could almost answer the questions for him. They were just all generalities, all neutral, did not give really anything to work with. And maybe Kim Ang was a little bit too far on the other side of things in regards to Brian Anderson, where she probably could have just stayed more in the middle and said, we've been really impressed with him. We're looking forward to potentially visiting those discussions down the line. Acting like you've never seen the guy play before, probably not the right move. But anyways, talking about what a Brian Anderson extension could look like, I think that four years, 28 million is a pretty good outline based on the fact that he still has two years of arbitration and he's set to make 3.8 million this year through the arbitration agreement. And you'd expect it to go up to maybe four or five next year and then maybe 5 million the year after that. If that's the case, give or take, a cumulative million from the two years combined, then it's advantageous for Brian Anderson to sign a four-year $28 million deal because 
That's going to pay him $7 million annually. Maybe the Marlins can kick in a little bit of a signing bonus to be you know, distributed across the four years where it'll add up to $2 million and it's a couple hundred thousand or 500000 each season. Or they could make it a five-year deal and scale it out a bit more to closer to $35 million, which I wouldn't be opposed to either. That would have Anderson signed through his age 32 to 33 season. But I'm okay with that because even if Anderson can't stay at third, I think that he could be a very... Very, very good defensive right fielder for the long term, even through his mid to late 30s, where his plus arm is always going to play and he's going to move well enough to anchor a corner outfield spot. But I still think he's going to be able to play third well into his 30s. And the offense, while at times inconsistent, he's put up back-to-back seasons of an OPS over 800. The defense is among the better or among the best third baseman in the game. So you're getting a ton of value there as well. And the Marlins put a lot of value into the defense. I think that when you look across the board as to what the Marlins will start to have in the outfield, if J.J. Boudet comes up, if some of these other top prospects continue to trickle into the mix, Jazz Chisholm starts to get going with what he is capable of. And any of Jesus Sanchez, Griffin Conine, Peyton Burdick, Cameron Meisner, those guys are going to start to fill out in the next two years into this Marlins ball club, the only area where they're really lacking anybody is third base. And Joe Denand, who has really came on strong, is playing more first base. I don't know if he has the defensive ability to stick in the hot corner. He's definitely going to be a major downgrade if he even turns into a major league hitter, which I'm going to get to in a moment too, from Brian Anderson. So it just makes sense with where the Marlins system's at, with where the Marlins are at in general. Brian Anderson's going to be cheaper and probably better than any option the Marlins are going to be able to afford in free agency in the next several seasons. At third base, it just makes so much more sense. Five years, 35 million. Four years, 28 million. I got that number based off of Eduardo Escobar's contract because while Eduardo Escobar recently hit 35 home runs, he signed the contract before that. And he signed his three year, $21 million contract in the season after he slashed 272, 334, 489, which is right on par with Brian Anderson's numbers with 23 home runs as well and not playing quite the level of defense that Brian Anderson is capable of playing. So you could offer a little bit more value. I think instead the Marlins just offer more years with the 7 million AAV roughly as that's what Escobar got at three years, 21 million. That seems to be a good outline as well. Like I said earlier, the third baseman is kind of a difficult position to compare because it's either super high end or super low end. And Brian Anderson's one of those guys that is an above average regular, but at a position where there's no really in between. It's really guys that are below average or well above average. And I think there's some value there in itself for the Marlins to have somebody that's in between and then they can allocate money elsewhere. Because if there's a limited amount of guys in that middle tier, then you're either going to be forced to overspend at third or be forced to try to find a diamond in the rough at the hot corner. And the Marlins don't have prospects that play third base right now. We'll see if they address that in the draft. Ultimately, we see that a lot of teams just like to draft shortstops and see if they move from there. And that's something that I'm sure will happen down the line with some of their shortstop prospects. More likely than not with Jose Salas, which is somebody that has filled out a ton and will start to hit for more power. And I believe he will probably end up anchoring a hot corner, but he's so far off from the big leagues too that it just makes way too much sense to lock up Brian Anderson. And especially after some of those little optics hiccups, I think it just makes sense to put that to bed, extend this guy. He's been one of the few people that has stuck it out through this 
rebuild of the Marlins. He is part of this core, I believe, that can have some consistency as the young guys continue to make their way up to the big leagues. And I would love to see even two, three years from now, that veteran core of Brian Anderson, Sandy Alcantara, Pablo Lopez, and then even Miguel Rojas, maybe at that point in more of a utility role, which he would be such a great utility guy as a leader and still so productive, probably being able to play plus defense at so many different positions. That would be just a great core to keep together and gives the Marlins a better chance to just have that leadership and keep that culture that they've been trying to build. I would love that. And I think it's a no brainer to extend both of these guys in the short term does not affect the team this year, they could really start committing the salary next year. But even next year, the salary would be cheaper. It would be backloaded in both of these deals, more so the Sandy deal than the BA deal. But still, they don't have to worry about the money until a little bit further down the line where things will be presumably much more back to normal. And the Marlins will hopefully be putting more people in seats because at that point, they'll be winning a bit more and maybe bringing in one or two of those free agents they've been rumored to be interested in, like Anthony Rizzo and Carlos Correa, and I'm sure some other players that they will be tied to in a very loaded free agency class next season. I'm going to talk about Joe Denand and what he has been doing in just a moment here, but another quick break and a reminder that this episode is brought to you by betonline.ag. We've got the sports world in full swing right now. March Madness right around the corner, and there's going to be no better place to wager your bets on March Madness. You got NBA, the playoffs not too far away, NHL season, the Panthers. How about the Panthers and how they're doing? And then obviously baseball bets and future bets on the horizon as well. You can place your bets on all of those sports at betonline.ag, but they cover everything beyond sports, even awards, TV shows, reality TV. They have real-time updated odds and props on almost anything you can imagine. BetOnline has you covered on all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best ways to place your bets, and it is free to sign up. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today, and you'll receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. That is promo code Locked On for a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Also brought to you by our friends at Built Bar. It's Built Bar Madness right now. Head over to the BuiltBar.com website or Built underscore Bar on Twitter to find out which Built Bar is winning right now for the best flavor. If you've had some of the flavors, cast your vote to see which flavor is crowned the best Built Bar flavor for March and for the year. They continue to roll out new tasting flavors all the time, but let's see which is the best right now, and we're going to find out very soon. But also, if you head to BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKED15, that's LOCKED15, you'll get 15% off your next order. That's BuiltBar.com, promo code locked 15. So let's wrap up right here with one of the best stories of this COVID year for the Marlins and of this just wild offseason and now spring training as it's been Joe Denant. I mean, this guy has been just mashing baseballs through the Winter League and maybe, I'll be honest, like I wasn't really sold on the Winter League performance. Of course, it was encouraging in itself that you know, this guy was being able to start to hit for some of the power that we had seen. I mean, he was a second round pick and for good reason. He put up ridiculous numbers his junior year at NC State. He had great numbers in the Cape Cod League, but he just has never really been able to get it going that well in his minor league career. Strikeouts, a huge issue for him. Just not able to tap into that power quite enough. Only 20 home runs in 265 minor league ball games. And in 2019, he got moved up to double A after finally putting together a nice stretch in high A before getting called up. 
and then just kind of hit a wall again where he only hit five home runs in 130 games, just a 648 OPS. There are some minor changes I've seen with his swing, nothing dramatic, but enough to maybe be able to help him a bit at the plate and might point towards the reason why we've seen some of these improvements, but he definitely looks much more balanced at the plate. And I think that all starts with his timing mechanism. He used to be a toe tap guy and that works for some, for others, it gets them caught in between with their timing. It's multi, it's a little bit more movement. It's harder to stay back and get that weight staying on your back hip. And if you don't time up the toe tap well, you get caught in between frequently. And that seemed to happen a lot with Dunand. Also, probably part of the reason why he wasn't able to tap into more power, he just wasn't getting into that lower half enough. Now that he has scrapped that toe tap and sinks into his back leg a bit more, he picks up that front leg and puts it down. Relatively simple, allows himself to tap into his strength a lot more and just more so simplifying his swing and keeping his weight back and into his legs more. You've just seen him be able to generate more leverage and it's been quite tangible, the adjustment that we've seen. Not a huge swing adjustment, but I never really had any issues with his swing. It seemed more so the timing and his numbers in the winter league were fantastic, albeit it was only 21 games, but he slashed 319, 398, 542. That's a 939 OPS. There is one thing, though, that still leaves me a bit concerned, and it is that he struck out 30% of the time in that league. There were some more advanced pitchers in that league, and those are guys that, even if they're not superstars, had maybe spent some time in the majors, had pitched in pro ball for a long time, three pitches for a strike, which makes it a bit more difficult for a young hitter. But still, I'd like to see that strikeout rate under 30% if you were just playing in double A the year before. And that's part of the reason why I wasn't totally sold on some of the improvements we've seen. But now in spring training, it seems to have just continued and trickled over. Still a small sample size in spring training, but a pair of home runs. He's hitting close to now 300 and the strikeout rate not quite as bad in his spring training small stint, but closer to the 20 to 25% range. So there are definitely some improvements here. What does this mean? Does How does he fit into the equation? Uh, that is where things get a tad interesting. I don't know if there's really any sense in putting him in double A again this year. I'd probably just put him in triple A at this point. And funny enough, it's going to be Jacksonville again. So he has familiarity of playing in Jacksonville. He was in double A Jacksonville in 2019. After what he showed in spring training and in the winter league, he's probably earned himself a move up to triple A. And that's where we'll just have to see how he does. If he hits well in triple A, I'll expect a call up at some point this year if he continues to do what we've been seeing him do. At that same point, though, if he struggles in AAA, then all of this is kind of for naught. And that's the thing, is he's going to have to show it on at least a scale of a couple months at the minor league level for me to fully be sold on this. But now that we're seeing him do it in spring training, I think it's getting to the point now where it's like, okay, there's something going on here and it's it's good stuff. Still, I'm going to leave a little bit of skepticism and cynicism just because of the fact that the strikeout rate was so high in his 83 plate appearances, 25 punch outs, not really ideal. He did walk a decent amount with nine free passes, and I have liked what we've seen with the adjustment in his timing mechanism. If he could still be a guy that hits for some power and is ultimately still an above average in terms of strikeout numbers guy, but hits for power and is showing the ability to hit for a bit more average than we've seen in the past, then there's probably still a lot more value here than we had expected to see. And he could ultimately have floated this in the past is if he continues to hit like this, maybe he's a trade chip for the fish because even in your best case scenario, he's probably not producing at the level Brian Anderson is, or maybe in the best case scenario, he's producing right at 
the level of Brian Anderson, and he's got an ability to potentially be an above average defender because he was a shortstop before. I got to see more defensively. I'm not sure totally what he's capable of at third. We'll get a chance to see more, but ultimately he, he was playing some first base. He would be a great first baseman. I'd like to see him in triple A playing some third base to see how the defense looks and if he's a plus defender because of his time at shortstop. I still have my reservations as to whether he can be an above average defender at third, but at the same time, I don't know. So I'm not going to make a truly, truly bold take either way. He does have the arm strength as a former shortstop. The footwork is good enough as a third baseman and the power profile, if he taps into it, should fit the mold there. It's just the question of will he be able to hit enough? And I think that the fact that we're even discussing Joe Denand at this point at 25 years old and in 2021 is good because he was really an afterthought for the most part. And he's playing himself into relevancy a little bit here. And if the Marlins can get something out of him, that is a big win whether it's as a trade ship or he gets moved up and ends up being a power bench bat for the fish, then maybe there's something there. But regardless, it's just good to have more value in your system with some of these underachieving guys for the last several years turning into something that you were hoping you would get out of them when you selected them in the second round and gave them 1.2 million in 2017. And of course, we're going to hear so many of the Alex Rodriguez's nephew, Alex Rodriguez's nephew, if he gets called up, which would get annoying, but I will take that any day of the week for somebody that I'd pretty much really written off, I'll be honest, before this winter league performance. And all of a sudden now, we got to watch. We got to see what this guy can do. And I'm not going to pretend like I can predict what he's going to do because I didn't think he was going to do anything in this winter league. I didn't think he was going to do anything in spring training. And he has. So this is a wait and see thing. But this will be a fun development to follow along with the Marlins absolutely loaded system. Some of the more underrated guys and how they project. As always, thank you for listening. Keep an eye out for the episode I just did with Eli Sussman of Fish Stripes. We gave out some of our bold predictions for this upcoming season. It was a lot of fun and it should be out by the time you're listening to this. Thank you to those who take the time to leave a rating and those who subscribe to keep up with the latest episodes. The ratings help me immensely and I am always grateful for your support and being able to share this season with you. We're getting closer. Marlins baseball is on the horizon, but how about Joe Denand? Walk off two run shot. Do the Marlins have a diamond in the rough here? We'll see and you know that I will be on it moving forward as we get closer to the season.